Hi, everyone. You're here with the second season of Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co-host, Lyson Casey. Hello, everyone. And today we have such a pleasure of interviewing Kate Dixon and Sarah Hartcorn. They are the co-founders of Primped and really wonderful people, and we can't wait to talk to them. So welcome, guys, and thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And uh, start us off, what is Primped? Primped is an online services marketplace that allows customers who are seeking beauty and self-care treatments to easily access uh, certified and rated professionals. And then on the other side, it's a a way for professionals that are freelance within beauty and self-care to more efficiently and easily run their business across scheduling, payment processing, uh, and really all of the kind of uh, back-end things that are involved in running a business. Very cool. Yeah, that, that that's really cool. Uh, kind of experiencing myself, but building a marketplace a lot of times can be a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem. And they can be quite difficult. But, and, but if you get it right, they can work really well. Kind of how has how has building the community for the marketplace, building both sides of it, how, how has that been? Yeah, um, you're definitely right about that. There's definitely a chicken and the egg uh, situation with building a marketplace. And I think for us and how we strategized it is really building a quality supply uh, before launching Primped. So going out, finding professionals uh, that wanted to list their services on our platform. And from there, then going out to customers and really continually asking ourselves, do we have the right ratio? When should we hit, you know, the trigger on adding more pros to our platform? What services are most popular? And really continually kind of assessing that as we grow. That's cool. And how did you guys meet and decide, like, this is the company that you want to co-found? So we met long before Primped. Sarah and I met while we were doing our our MBAs together. And uh, our paths crossed a lot during that time. We were both um, running the MBA Finance Association. Uh, we, we won the same scholarship um, while we were at DeGroote, which is where we studied. And so we lived together during the internship that came with that. We traveled together. And so when the time came to kind of sit down and think about, um, you know, who, who I'd want to work on on this company with, Sarah was the first person that came to mind, really. So I guess that's that's kind of how we wound up together. But where the idea for Primped really came from was a struggle that we experienced on our end as customers when we were working in a very, very different industry. And there, there was a few bits to that struggle. But the main one was that we always felt like we were working around salons and spa schedules. And the reason for that is because that's such a fragmented space and there are so many different players and you're usually going to two, three or four different establishments for different services and they all manage their booking in different ways. Most of the time it's through the phone or through email and there's just really no way to centrally manage all of your personal care or see the full picture of who's available when and when you can really get in and, and have your, you know, your service. So it, it really was born out of a, a problem that we faced on our end to just have a much more seamless process for booking your beauty and self-care and have it in a more efficient way too. So all of our freelancers, I should have mentioned, are um, willing to travel to customers. So customers can really have their beauty and self-care you know, anywhere, anytime. And that was something that we struggled with as well. We were always jamming our, our appointments into you know that, that weeknight 6 p.m. time slot because that was really all that, that worked for us when we were you know, working working full days and and wanted our weekends to ourselves. Yeah, I've actually had that same problem. I think I complained to you, Liza, about it a lot, that I want a personal assistant just for this. Like booking these appointments is really a pain. You're calling all these different places. uh, Different people don't work certain days or certain evenings, and you only have so much time that you can book to 
do these appointments. So you're definitely solving a problem that I have faced. Yeah. Yeah. And on the professional side, there's this huge push to go freelance because in many instances, you know, professionals are are graduating from two to three year college programs and unfortunately not earning the wage that you would kind of assume would go hand in hand with that level of training and education. And so going freelance allows them to earn two to three times more. But the struggle that they really have is one of how do they market themselves and how do they get in front of customers in a way that presents them credibly? And also, how do they manage all of these different things they never had to manage before, like taking payments and you know running a schedule and invoicing? Um, so, so it really meets a need on the professional side as well. That's great. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I, I really love how you guys actually had a, a personal pain point and, and challenge and you started a company and build a product to solve it. Kind of, can you talk a little bit more about how you made that leap and how you were able to go out there and build the product and turn your idea into an actual thing? And kind of what advice do you have for anyone listening that's trying to do the same thing? Yeah, um, I think the leap, I think that's a, every kind of founder can think about that time where they made the decision to make make the jump. And it's, it's definitely not an easy decision um, and something that a lot of people spend time thinking about. But uh, for me personally, uh, and for Kate too, probably is uh, there, if someone was going to create this, I really felt, you know, the problem firsthand. And ultimately, I knew the regret of not doing it outweighed the fear of taking that entrepreneurial, you know, jump. So that was kind of the leap decision in terms of how we made the product and how we built it is probably like a lot of founders, and we actually got advice from a co-founder that Kate knows, is uh, to start with something scrappy and learn from it and then build the product you know customers want. Because the last thing you want to do is spend all this time, all this money, and build a platform and realize people don't want it, people don't like certain functionality. And so really go out there with a product that's um, easy to build and quick to get to market. So we ran a beta off of a Squarespace website and some third-party plugins that did kind of um, the things we wanted in from a customer standpoint. So it looked very seamless. But on the back end, Kate and I were matching these appointments with professionals. Um, so kind of like a dispatcher for a taxi, um, which was interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, interesting is the right word. <laughs> and then uh, from there, we used that beta, took a ton of learnings on how people were using the platform, and then also ran a bunch of customer feedback sessions on what they liked and did not like. And also on the pro side, so we asked our pros, what did you like about it? What did you not like about it? What's the ideal product? And really took all those learnings and then um, built the product, which is today, which is a mobile app for our customers and professionals, as well as an online website where they can also book. Yeah, that's really awesome. The way you got guys got market validation right away without putting in a ton of work. That's really smart way. Mm -hmm. And also being scrappy with your product. That's something we 100% agree with and love that you had to do that work on the back end, even though it doesn't scale. It's the smartest thing to do in your early days. Cool. And um, can you talk a bit about um, uh, the on the investment side? I know that you guys closed an angel round in 2019. Um, How was that experience? Yeah, I think, you know, we entered that 
pretty well prepared. We both come from finance backgrounds. So that's, you know, what we studied in school. We were both in capital markets before we started this. And obviously it's a, it's a different sort of realm, but um, we were used to kind of speaking in numbers and speaking, you know, from a business standpoint um, to, to people. So that was in that way, I guess, simple for us, but in another way, you know, usually you're looking into your immediate sort of network when you're starting out with a company and you're trying to raise funds. And the people in our immediate network were typically pretty risk averse finance professionals who had never heard of a safe before. It sounded like some kind of, you know, made up <laughs> like instrument. <laughs> um, so, so I would say that that part of it was definitely challenging trying to get the people, you know, in our network specifically to, um, you know, invest in something riskier and also uh, using an instrument that they were not familiar with. That was a challenge. But I think, you know, the, the way it went for us and the way I'm sure it goes for, for a lot of, um, you know, startups is you get that first check or two and then it becomes a lot easier to, to raise, um, you know, d- additional funds from, from additional individuals. Um, so we, we kind of had that experience for sure. And uh, to kind of switch it, go off in a, in a little bit of a different tangent, the, the world is a different place now than it was just a, a few months ago. Uh, how, how have you guys been kind of holding on? Like, how, how has it been dealing with uh, everything that's been going on? Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely different. And hopefully it reverts back to normal soon. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're hanging in there. So we're a non-essential business. So we actually closed our doors. And we made that decision kind of prior to when it was mandatory in Ontario, uh, just to protect, you know, our professionals, our customers, as well as others. Um, we really do believe it was the right decision at the time. Um, and then um, it kind of just changed the way we communicated to both sides of our marketplace. So um, on the customer front, we're mo- more focused on, you know, do-it-yourself, self-care um, types of marketing, being engaged with them through our Instagram more actively. And then on the professional side, as you know, obviously it's a stressful time. Uh, they didn't anticipate, you know, not earning money. Uh for, for a long period of time. And uh, so communicating, you know, how to, how to stay busy at home, feel, you know, less stressed in this type of situation, as well as what are the, you know, support systems financially, mentally that are available uh, to them uh, through the government and really supporting them that way. So it kind of just changed um, the way we supported both sides of the marketplace. Um, but it also offered us, um, on the on the positive note, kind of going back to things we put on the back burner because we were just so busy that we got to spend more time kind of building out, planning. Uh, so that was, you know, looking on the, the positive side, something that came from this. Yeah. And to add on to that, too, it's now shifted to focusing on what things are going to look like when they do reopen, because it's obviously going to be a very different world, especially in personal care, where the individual who's completing the service is actually, you know, physically touching you. So um, we're working on how do we, what do customers expect of us? What do professionals expect of us? Um, What are they most likely to be booking? What are their, you know, habits going to be when, when they do start booking again. So we've kind of shifted our attention to that as well. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you guys. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad that yeah, you found a way to just balance and hang on to the marketplace and keep everyone informed. So that's great. Yeah. And looking forward to yeah, when everything is more back to normal. Um so to talk again about your professional backgrounds in banking, can you tell me anything that you kind of took away from that that's uh, really helped you guys succeed? 
Yeah, I think I can speak for myself personally. Um, my background was in sales and trading, so I was working on the trading floor when I came out of my MBA. And I think one of the things that, and, and Sarah will probably echo this with her investment banking background, but one of the things you learn is just, I guess, how to kind of pace yourself and, um, you know, keep focused and stick with the task and not be, you know, easily upset or easily distracted. I think when you're working on a startup, you're first of all doing a million different things and it can be really hard to kind of get yourself back to, um, you know, what you need to focus on. But it's also, as I'm sure many people, you know, have, have said to you guys before, a lot of ups and downs. And for me on the trading floor, that was definitely how, you know, the days went. Markets would go up, markets would go down, customers or clients would be happy, they would be upset. And, um, you know, having to kind of weather all those storms, I think, translated well into being able to do that with the startup. Um, and then also, obviously, being very numbers and, and data driven has lent itself well to us in this role. Um, my my role here has kind of at Prempt rather has, has switched a little bit more to you know the marketing and, and the strategy, which I was not super um, experienced in or more prepared for for that matter. But um, I think the underlying sort of lessons and, and things you learn um, when you're working in, in that high stress of an environment definitely translate well to working you know in a startup. Yeah. Um- I completely agree with Kate. A lot of the same things kind of echo. Um, after graduating from my MBA, I did uh, investment banking, um, which is its like own roller coaster. And I think as a startup, you you have roller coaster as well, and you kind of have to maintain a level of just um, keeping consistent, keeping focused um, when things are kind of up and down. Um, I think in addition to the stuff that Kate mentioned. Uh, the the work ethic you get, uh, the stamina you get from working in capital markets uh, translates really well to starting a company because it is hard, can become a grind some, sometimes, and you just it, it really gives you uh, that commitment and dedication to really keep going. Um, and then I think the the other part is, um, which I didn't realize in it when I was in investment banking, is a lot of starting a company is sales. So you're selling to investors, you're selling to professionals, you're selling to customers, selling to partners. Um, and I think that's something um, we both really took away from our jobs in capital markets. Yeah, that's great. That's a great comment, I think, for anyone that sales definitely, it doesn't matter what startup you're running, you're essentially always selling it every time you're talking to someone about it it's a bit of a sales role so it's a good skill to be able to have awesome. uh, so starting uh, your own company what have you guys what have you learned it's kind of like the, the most important asset to have or the most important skill to know or in general what what is the type of like the best type of person in order to to be able to to run their own company or is there no such thing it just depends on hard work and doing the right things kind of what has been your your main take takeaway from moving from the corporate world to running your own company? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And, and then I hope more people ask that because I think it definitely depends, but there's definitely traits uh, for people who succeed in the startup world. Um, and, and I'm sure Kate will probably echo some of these and mention some on her end as well that she's learned while starting Prempt is uh, you need to be a multitasker. You, you can be great at some things, but you really need to be able to handle multiple. So... You know, I can do everything from recruiting a pro to our accounting to um, like a completely opposite thing. Like, what do we do for our customer 
gifts or anything like that. You really wear all the hats um, to kind of the legal world of, you know, what will our terms of service be? So you really have to wear multiple hats and be able to juggle that. And I think the second key thing, uh, what I've really learned is um, communication is key. You have to be a really good communicator. And I think most importantly, obviously externally to your partners, your customers, your providers, um, also to your co-founder when you're in that situation, um, you really have to be a good communicator and work well um, with people. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I think you also have to be very decisive. You know, when you work on in a, a medium or, or large company, you have team members, um, you can collaborate. If you're not a super decisive person, maybe you, you know, lean on a superior or someone else to kind of nudge you along the process. But there really is no one doing that in a startup, especially in the early stages when, you know, it's just you as the founder or the co-founder. So I think being able to kind of pick your course of action and, um, and stick with it is really important. And I also think um, in addition to being a, an effective, you know, kind of communicator is being an effective listener because, there are a lot of mistakes and people you can learn from in this space. And I've found more than any space I've ever been in, people are extremely willing to share their learnings. And, um, you know, we might not be on the course that we were on right now had we not really sat down and listened to other founders and talked to them while at the same time, obviously, you know, um, having, having our own kind of views and opinions that, that you know, we, we've kind of come come to ourselves. I think those are two key things that I've learned are, are really important when you're starting a company. That's great. And cool. And do you, uh, both of you have any advice for other founders looking to start a marketplace company? Oh boy. <laughs> um, I think, you know, which what Sarah touched on early on, which is starting out as cheaply and as scrappily as possible is probably the ve- the best advice we received and the best advice we could give um, for, for all the reasons that she sort of already mentioned. Um, you know, the last thing you want is to invest a ton of your money or a ton of your early investors money into a product that's not well thought out or into a market that you don't understand very well. So I think that's probably the, the best advice that I could give. Um, you know, one that worked for me and, and I would advise 10 times over, but might not be the, the same for everybody else is I, I think there's a lot of value to having a co-founder, in my opinion. Um, you know, I couldn't imagine doing this myself, not for, you know, not being able to, to do the work or whatever, although Sarah does have a lot of you know really strong skills that I don't have. Um, I think it's just being able to really bounce ideas off of somebody and really share a workload that can become really, really challenging at times Um, and have two opinions. Because I think if there's anything, you know, people have learned as of late, it's that diversity is really key and having a lot of different opinions is is key. And when you don't have a lot of um, ability to hire a team, your co-founder is really that that other opinion or that flip side of the coin for you. And so I, I would strongly advise for anyone who's kind of thinking like, should I go the co-founder route or not to really strongly consider it? Because um, I think it's it's really valuable having, you know, more, more than one opinion at the table. Yeah, we 100% agree with that. Yeah, that's really great. I, I think being a solo founder would be such a challenge. And I think it's great that yeah. when you have an idea to be able to just tell it to your co-founder, your co-founder is like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. being, being, a, being a solo founder, you can really get caught in a personal bias. Yes. And it's really hard to get out of that. 
Yeah. And, you know, people, it's challenging to notice your own biases. And I think it takes many years of, of you know, life experiences to get there. So, yeah, I think that that's, um, that's definitely key for us. Awesome. And for my last question, uh, can you both tell me something about yourselves that's not on your LinkedIn page? <laughs> Sarah, you, you go first. <laughs> that's not on my LinkedIn page. I mean, I guess generally my more offline, less professional hobbies. Uh, <laughs> um, so I love spinning. I'm uh, like very dedicated to it. Uh, it's like the best way to unwind. So maybe the fact that I am uh, constantly going to any spin class I can make time for. Mine is that I actually play the drums. I, I haven't um, I haven't played them in a while. They're at my parents' house. And um, admittedly, I don't really have anyone to jam with these days. But uh, I think people are always kind of thrown when I tell them I play the drums. So that, that would be mine. <laughs> Very awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. It was such a pleasure to speak with both of you and learn more about Primt and uh, the company you're building and the marketplace aspects. So congrats on all your success so far and can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you. Thanks for having us again. Yeah, it was a lot of fun talking to you. Cool. You too. Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder every week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city. Until next time.